Church, let us pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this day. Um, thank you for just who you are, God, that you're unchanging and just that your love is unwavering for us, God, no matter what season or situation that we're in. Just thank you for the grace that you have to offer us and just how you can just transform our hearts, God, and we can just see how you've how you've um, just molded our hearts and taken us from A to B. God, I just pray over our service today. I pray that you would um, just give Joseph the words, God, to, to just speak into our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we finished up last week a series talking about, you know, what it means to make this commitment and to actually live as a Christian and not just kind of seem like you're a Christian. So we, we completed that series. We wrapped it up. Um, so, that being said, this week I just kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. And um, at least in terms of, you know, the, the message. You're still going to have to listen to me talk. So... Uh, one of the things that I think is very interesting about this country is, um, and I say this as somebody who, you know, I'll go ahead and kind of point out, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's necessarily any point in, in people who are pastors or whatever kind of acting like that, you know, they don't have their own biases, right? So if I, was, if I were to sit here and have a very millennial Gen Z moment, we all have unconscious biases, and we need to be aware of what those are, because if you're aware of your biases, you know how to self-correct and all that, right? Uh now, uh, a, lot, a lot of that has just become very, uh, you know, kind of politicized because of things that you, you hear about in the news or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's something that's kind of undeniable, right? Like, we all have experiences, and that influences how we think. So, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, I have no problem saying that when it comes to how I view a lot of things, when it comes to politics and all that, I'm a decently conservative individual. I guess I'm kind of discovering maybe not as conservative as I thought I once was, but um, I'm a pretty conservative individual. I have very, you know, kind of uh, more fundamentalist views on things when it comes to scriptures and the Bible and, um, you know, not, not a whole lot of surprises there. So I say all of that to kind of lay the groundwork to say that there is something that I feel like is very common within Christian communities that um, probably needs to be addressed and either addressed from the perspective of maybe this is something that, you know, you kind of uh, subscribe to this mentality and it needs to be something that we need to kind of keep in context, you know, what the Bible says. And it might be something that, you know, you look at and say, I, I've never really held that opinion, but you need to be, you know, informed about what the Bible says about uh, about certain things so that when you're talking to somebody, you can help encourage them in a way that's loving and scriptural. And specifically what I'm talking about is kind of this tendency to take what it means to be a Christian nation and, uh, you know, somehow wrapping up our faith and our idea of what government and politics should be. It's not really a secret that I've always kind of said that I, I am a very firm believer that um, many of these things should be separate, but not necessarily for the same reasons that people typically say. One of the reasons why I think that our faith and our sense of patriotism and pride should be guarded very carefully to be kept separate is simply because our sense of patriotism and belonging to a government of men can conflate and can confound our mission that God has given us that transcends any national boundary. And what I mean by that is that as soon as we start letting our ideas of what it means to be an American or what it means to be a part of this country or this nation, and we let that 
influence and potentially corrupt what it means to be an individual that stands for something that is bigger than any particular nation, it becomes a problem. And this is something that we can see, you know, the, the phrase that is not necessarily a new phrase, but it's popped up a few times uh, more recently just due to the, the general complete dumpster fire that is American politics right now, is this, this idea of Christian nationalism. And something that I think is fascinating about this is that um, this is super not scriptural. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's just ironic that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who kind of, kind of pin themselves as being more fundamentalist, the Bible is, you know, the way it is and all that, uh, can turn around and read their Bibles and then say like, oh, so, you know, clearly we need to sit here and, you know, kind of force the country to, to veer into uh, the, the, the Christian way of doing things. And so... I always think that whenever you're addressing something that you think that some of the people either either are listening or some of the people that you may end up speaking to, um, you know, if you think they may think a certain thing and you're going to try to give them something that challenges what they think, it's important to kind of start off from, you know, uh, a place where we're all on the same page. And so, you know, I was looking up a few of the scriptures that seems like are, are, are examples of things that you see whenever people want to talk about the fact that we as a nation need to become a Christian nation. We need to turn back to God as a nation, and as a nation we will be blessed. Okay, well, let's, let's unpackage that a little bit. So... We turn around, you can look in Psalms. You can see several references to this. One of the ones I picked out, Psalms 33, 12. And some of these are admittedly a little cherry-picked because there's tons of scriptures about these, mostly in the Old Testament, for a reason, and we'll get to that. Uh, in Psalms 33, 12, we see, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah talks as well about what it means to be a nation that is uh, after God's own heart and also what it means to be a nation that turns away from God. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at any other time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. You see kind of similar tones coming out of some of the other prophets. In Isaiah 11, verse 4, we end up reading, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to, the corru to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Zechariah, yet another prophet, talks about national uh, talks about the, this this idea of you know being a part of a nation as well. Zechariah eight thirteen. Just as you Judah and Israel have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. When you turn around and you read all of these scriptures that talk about what it means to be a part of a Christian nation using Christian as kind of a euphemism here, because obviously you're talking about the Old Testament, then what you're seeing here is a very clear picture of the nation that chooses to follow God prospers. The nation that turns away from God does not prosper. And it seems like a very easy equation. And I think sometimes because that seems so easy, it's something that we love to grapple onto, especially since we are a nation who kind of has the benefit of the fact that, you know, our beginnings as an entity 
were kind of founded in a lot of things that are either Christian or are kind of Christianese, you know, so to speak. You know, something that is is like Christianity. So it's something that we pride ourselves on. It's almost a little bit of this, you know, to, to use a phrase that is either something that you wear as a badge of honor or something you view as infamous. It, it almost plays very well into this idea of American exceptionalism, that we are somehow more holy because we all have always been this Christian country, which is one of the reasons why there's such an emphasis today looking at kind of, you know, the general state of how, you know, things are becoming more secular. And then we're also, you know, we combine that with the fact that we're more aware from the news and from Internet and all the things around us, that there's all these terrible things in the world. Um, and, and, you know, it's easy in our heads to sit here and go, oh, we've always been a Christian nation and God has blessed us because after all. Look at all of the good times in our country. Look at, you know, our forefathers. And look at these great moments that we read about in the history books. And today things just seem so terrible. And the only thing I can connect it to is that we are becoming a post-Christian society. And God is turning his back on us. I don't know the divine will of God. Maybe. Maybe that's true. But I think it's hard to point to the Bible and say, oh, no, this is clearly what this is. This is divine in, in, in the scriptures. Because the reality is that when we look at other – we can look at other nations who have gone through these cycles already. And I think if you really have that mentality that God is explicitly punishing the world for turning away from him, then you got to sit here and say, okay, cool. Well, let's go Let's go and unpackage that for a second. You want to know what some of the Christian nations are? Some of the nations that say, no, as a nation, the U.S. isn't even like this. They say, no, 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 as a nation, we're – getting behind Christianity is the one true religion. It is the state religion. Well, let's look at what some of these places are, and let's think about how, you know, these clearly, if that if that hypothesis is true, these are clearly the nations that God is obviously manifoldly blessing, right? Okay, so these should be the pinnacle, the peak of God's blessings. And so you have such world powers as Argentina, Armenia, Costa Rica, El Salvador. We're starting out very powerful right now, right? Because these are clearly the people who are all sending missionaries to us godly countries, right? And not the other way around. Uh, Denmark, okay. England, Ethiopia, uh, the Faroe Islands, Georgia. Georgia the country, not Georgia the state. Georgia the state, there's a bunch of churches. Uh, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Liechtenstein, great world power. Malta, Monaco, Norway, Samoa, where the rock is from, uh, Serbia, Tonga, Tuvalu, Vatican City, don't know if that one shocked anybody, and Zambia. Okay, so you end up looking at these and saying these are the countries that if this hypothesis is correct, then God has unfolded his manifest blessings upon these great, these great hallowed nations that are Christian nations, right? And then let's look at the other nations that according to this mentality, God has been judging and putting to the axe because they have turned away from their good Christian ways. And let's look at how destitute these countries are. Austria, Brazil, eh, maybe that one's kind of terrible. Finland, France, Hawaii before they were, uh, before they were, they were, uh, um, you know, uh, the U.S. kind of came in and told them they weren't going to be their own country anymore. Uh, they, they, they were a Christian nation. Ireland, the Netherlands, Sweden, Canada. These are formerly Christian nations that are no longer recognized Christianity as the one true religion. But yet, these are nations that we would consider uh, not third world countries. These are nations that are that are modern that have their own thing. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say here is this idea that God is divining blessings as we see them and divining, you know, curses as we would perceive them based on the fact that we are turning towards or against Christianity just simply isn't true. Um, it's at least something that you don't see happening in practice. 
uh, at an earthly level. And that really is what this conversation comes down to because the whole mentality of this idea of like Christian nationalism falls down on the basis of look at the chaos you could see in our country today and that is a result of our disobedience. That's the mentality. And a lot of times what people will cling to are these scriptures that we see in the Old Testament in order to support whatever their, their standpoint is, and that can lead to some unhealthy places. So it's not just rhetoric. This actually leads to things like what I think should be imposed on somebody else, and I'm not getting into in particular laws or court cases or anything like that. Again, conservative here, okay? There's a lot of things that have been popping up in court decisions and stuff that I'm not totally upset about. But all I'm saying is that there's a difference between saying I have an opinion about the way things should be should run, and so I vote on that, versus saying there is the godly way that everything should be run. Those are two separate statements. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see all these scriptures that talk about the fact that God will bless the nation that does this, and God will bless the nation that does that. It's important to stop and say, well, what is the nation that it's referring to? Because the nation, as it's talked about in the Old Testament, is a fundamentally different thing than what we have today. Go back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and this is what we end up seeing in the covenant given to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Then you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, to build on this, I want to go to another another covenant, right? So we get into like covenant theology here. So we're going to another covenant, or at, least, at the very least, another, another part of the covenant that we see in Exodus here. And we see more about this idea that the nation that, that chooses God, that orients itself towards the things of God, is a nation that will be blessed. Okay, in Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. From this, what you are seeing is the fact that the nation that is talked about frequently in the Old Testament is, the, is God's nation. It is, it is God's chosen people. And that's because the nationality was not the key. It's because the work that God was going to do was the key. And he's using a nation as his tool in order to, commit, to, to perform his works. What you end up seeing revealed to us even through to, to, to today through these different covenants are the fact that God demonstrated for us that he has a will. He has a plan. And that will come to fruition. This is what we see given to us through the covenant of Abraham. That the, the, the nation of Israel did in fact become a nation through which all other nations were blessed through the, the, the sprig, the, the offshoot that becomes Jesus Christ. We end up seeing as well exactly what was told to Moses there in Exodus, that this nation, because it was to be God's instrument, when it turned towards God, it could be used as that instrument. 
When it turned away from God, it could no longer become the instrument. It wasn't useful for the thing for which it was created. So God removed his blessings from them. There was a very practical sense of this sense of nationality. And I think what ends up happening so often in our, our, our cultural discourse today is we end up flipping the importance of nationality in God's plan. We end up looking at it and saying, well, nationality is actually a key part of God's plan. Instead of looking at it and saying, nationality is no more a tool for God than this piece of rubber and plastic. It is simply a tool that God can use as any tool. God used several times in the Old Testament pagan nations as his tools. God uses the, 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 the implements of man despite the fact they're created by man. He doesn't use them or have to use them because we created them. And that's so important for us as Christians to understand when we sit here and we start thinking about what are the things that get us worked up. What are the things that cause us to have disagreements with our friends and our family and, and neighbors? Uh, what are the things that we begin to divide ourselves as a community over? If we're dividing ourselves because of a matter of some sort of idea of what we think uh, a bunch of politicians should be doing 60 miles north of us, then I would argue, and I think it's pretty easy to defend the fact, that we're looking at the wrong thing. Because at the end of the day, a phrase that I know I've caught myself saying before, and I'll say many times again, at the end of the day, God is far more glorified by the salvation of one soul that has been rectified to him than he is a thousand governments of man that somehow mimic what they think virtue looks like. And so what that means is as individual Christians, we should be focused far more on the care and the well-being and the discipleship and the mercy and the grace that we can show to other individuals in our lives than we are trying to be a part of whatever the machine is or the system is. Because at the end of the day, what does it matter if we live in the most Christian and the most most devout to orthodoxy nation that has ever existed in the course of human history if we have not loved a single other individual, if we have not shown another individual that there is a better life, that there is another life after this, that they can live for eternity with a God who desperately wants to reconcile with them. If we don't do the latter of those two, then the former is completely worthless. This is something that we can see actually supported by Jesus Christ. And so this is what I want to what I want to contrast for you guys. When you look at the Old Testament, you see this talk of a nation. And it's very clear that it's talking about this nation of Israel. It's always talking specifically about Israel. If you look, there were other nations of people who knew about the Jewish God. You know, the idea of a nation, of a government was, was much more abstract than it is today. But there were other areas, other rulers who knew who a God was. I mean, even when you look at the exile of the Jewish people in Babylon and them coming back, you end up seeing in the words of the rulers in Babylon, some of them even acknowledging the supremacy of the Almighty God. So why then do none of these prophecies, why do none of these, 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 these verses pop up and speak about them? They only speak about God's chosen people because that was the tool. That was what God said. You are here for a purpose, and if you serve that purpose, you will be blessed because you will see me working through you. The exact same is true in our lives. God has us here for a purpose. He has a reason for us. He has a reason for the things that we're good at and the things that we're not good at. He has a reason for the places that we are and the places that we are not. And so long as we seek first God's purpose in wherever we are and whoever we are, 
then we will see God's blessings, whether that be something that is physical or whether that be something that is more intangible in our lives. Once we start transitioning into the life of Christ, what we start seeing is something that looks very, very different. Instead of God talking about the fact that, okay, if this nation turns to me, then I will bless this nation. Look at how I work through this nation and they will prosper and all that. You start seeing a very different tone in the words of Jesus Christ, where Jesus begins talking about the nation in terms of, I will bless people despite the nations. In fact, the nations are often cited by Jesus as the enemy and the persecutors of his followers. We end up saying, in, uh, uh, go ahead and go into Matthew 12, verses 14 through 21. We see this. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to this. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Notice that it is not the nation that is the object of the salvation. It is not the nation that is the thing that God that 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 Christ is focusing on here when he's when he's quoting out of Isaiah. It is in fact the fact that he's looking at it and saying Christ will be the one from whom the blessings come from, and the recipients of those blessings will be the nations. The instrument is the is the person of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came to this earth, you know, a lot of times we focus on the fact that God humbled himself to be made man, to come down to this earth. But, you know, sometimes we don't think about the fact that a part of him coming here in the flesh was the fact that Christ, God was using his son as a tool. I mean, he was he was sitting here saying, I love you guys so much. I'm going to make a part of my work being using this individual for a specific purpose. I mean, we might almost look at that today and say, if if I was the object of that kind of that kind of attention, if I was being used as a tool, I'd be feeling like I was being made subhuman. And it just further speaks to the humility of Jesus Christ and to the infinite depths of the love of God to pursue us, to sit here and say, I'm going to send my son, not only to humble himself to become a mortal man like the rest of you, not only to become a sacrifice but the rest of you, but to become just another tool so that you can see my glory made in this creation. But you can see that it's the mission happens, and as a result, the nations are blessed. Not any one particular nation. It doesn't say the nations whom choose to live a certain way or govern a certain way or run themselves by certain laws. It is the nations that are the object of the mission and the originator of the mission is Christ. And so in that, if we are the church, if we are the body of Christ, then we are the originators of the mission. We are the source of the mission and the nations are not to be the goal. The nations are to be the mission field and we are to reach the people in that mission field. We end up seeing the same idea that you know, the nations are not the thing that we should be putting our, our hope in. Later on in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The nations are the destination. As soon as we make the nation our goal, like our standard of success is that somehow we've made the nation look more Jesus-y, we've totally lost what the main theme is. That God wants us to go out to reach other people, to, to go out and to, to preach to the lost, to go and reach out and to give compassion to the individuals who feel like that they are ignored by society, and to give relief to individuals who are suffering. That is the object of what we should be focused on. It shouldn't be a matter of looking at it and saying, okay, well, if I can only make this nation look like it's something that is doing all of that, then okay, well, we'll all be blessed. And in fact, this is where sometimes I feel like people who are frequently on the other side of a lot of these political debates end up getting it wrong. The idea of, you know, I've heard of a lot of very well-meaning uh, uh, progressive Christian individuals turn around and say, well, if we're a loving nation, then we should be turning around and we should be implementing, you know, this program and that program and uh, we should be providing these sort of services and all that. And I would look at that too and say, don't offload the mission God has given you. That's the same thing as saying, well, you know what? I don't need to share my faith with other individuals because I put a dollar in an offering plate. That's not how that works. Is God has given you a mission. He has given you people in your lives. And maybe with where you are in your life, you're somebody who just needs to be built up and to receive. That's okay. We all have different seasons in our life. But maybe God has placed you in a place where you have people in your lives, where you have access to individuals, where you have exposure to individuals. That is where God is using you as the body of Christ to be able to be the instrument, to be the one used. Not so that the nation can look like it's more uh, more holy or more righteous, but so that the individuals can be touched. And in that way, all nations, regardless of what God they think they follow, can be blessed. So in fact, it's that God works despite the nations, not because of the nations. And that's where it seems like we so often get it wrong. That should fundamentally change our outlook on how we look at politics. It's okay to prefer this politician over that politician. It's okay to have opinions about things. I have tons of opinions. That's like 80% of being a preacher. So, like, it's okay to even be interested in the game of it all. You know, that, that's honestly the only reason why I still follow it is I just find, like, the, the mind aspect of it fascinating. But we have to be careful to guard our hearts with this as we do any other facet of our lives. That it cannot take over what our objective is. If we have any obsession in our life that becomes more important than the goal that God has put in front of us, then that thing now becomes our idol. Whether that be politics, whether it be music, whether it be sports, whether it be career, whether it be anything else you can possibly think of. Do not let government and politics and patriotism become the idol that you worship instead of the one true living God from whom blessings can flow and from whom all nations can be blessed. Because the warning I would give to anybody who especially thinks that we here in this culture or this nation or this time or this type of people are somehow put up on a pedestal of all human history, I would look at it and say, I feel like more Christian nations and peoples than us have tried 
and have ended up being conquered or fallen to the sands of time. So it can't be the nation that becomes our sense of success. It has to be victories that we achieve that we won't fully see the benefits of until we one day reach eternity. That has to be the invisible goal that we fight for, not things that we think are going to look good today. I will close by just looking again at what our obligation is at a, as a Christian. And what you don't see here is, therefore go and make the nations look more holy. You don't see, therefore go and make governments appear to follow my commands. You don't say, therefore go and have the correct rulers and power so that they'll make the right decisions. No, what you see is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Key to all of this is that nations being spoken of here are the people, not the governments, not the rulers, not the mechanisms of the bureaucracies. If we sit here and we reach all the individuals in a country for Christ, maybe you'll start seeing a lot of things pop up in laws and government and rhetoric and everything that starts looking a lot more consistent with the Bible. But that can't be the objective. The objective has to be the lost and the hurting people that we see in our lives every single day. If we overlook those people so that we can win yet another argument on Facebook, we're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. The only person we're serving is our own sense of pride. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us to Keep minds that are focused on what's truly important and help us to understand that this place truly is not our home. We use all these churchy phrases all the time when uh, we, we, we talk about living for something bigger and better than what's physically in front of us, but so often we get wrapped up in the politics of things. We get wrapped up in the, uh, in, in the, in the game of the debate. We get wrapped up in just wanting to be right all the time. Help us to have the sense of humility to understand that it is not us, it is not our collective or our tribe, it is not our government or our, our ruler politician that we support that is going to make us holy. Help us to understand what is truly important and to not neglect the need that is all around us every single day so that we can win a few more arguments. Help us to be individuals that you would look at our work and that you would say we're truly focusing on the right prize and that we're truly working towards the, the right aim, which is contributing and serving to, to the glory of your kingdom, not just now but in all eternity. In your son's name we pray. Amen.